1: when we're trying to scale sometimes it's better to just let facebook loose let them do the work let the technology do the work for you kind of be a little more hands-off because through their data science and through the machine learning they're going to be able to identify who out of that huge big audience they should be going after 100 percent agree hundy
2: you're listening to perpetual traffic with keith Krantz, molly Pittman, and ralph burns
3: Hello and welcome to episode number 108 of Perpetual Traffic. How are you guys doing? Doing great. We're good. <laughs> today, we've got a special guest VIP. We've got Andrew Tweedo from Funnel Boom on today to talk about the Facebook ads algorithm. And I think a lot of you might be excited to, to kind of hear what we're going to get into as we get towards the, the middle and the end of this episode because for some of you simplification and and actually simplifying might be the best answer for more ROI. I think Andrew's going to talk a little bit about machine learning and you know we hear all the time about how smart the Facebook algorithm is. And I think just opening it off, kicking it off, can you try to explain to us exactly what that means and how it kind of applies to the algorithm and how that affects us as business owners and, and marketers?
1: When we're talking about machine learning or the quote unquote algorithm, we're talking about how does Facebook look at the performance of our ad set? How does it consider our audiences, the pixel data we're sending them and combine all those factors to help you reach the most valuable people at the ad set level?
4: Yeah. And I just to add on to that, I think one of the outcomes of this episode here is going to be good news for a lot of people who are probably doing too much work on their current Facebook ad campaigns. I think we're all guilty of it. We think that because the element of advertising that we can control is our own actions, we can't really control what Facebook does in the auction, in the algorithm itself. I think there's a tendency to actually complicate things by doing too much. On episode 71, we go into the Michigan method, which is a strategy for scaling ad campaigns. And it's really, it's a good starting point for a lot of sort of mid-level advertisers. might not be the best way to start things when you're first starting out, but once you actually do do your testing... And you know, the Michigan method, if it's done correctly, actually can produce the outputs that you can then use in larger scale campaigns and let the algorithm really do the work. Now, you know, there are updates going on constantly in the algorithm. I think Andrew can get into this even more, is that the thing about the, the algorithm is like a software update. Like, you know, when you, you you boot up your laptop, it says, you know, Microsoft is now updated. Would you like to update now or app updates? Like constantly the algorithm is updating, not necessarily changing per se, but I do think because the news feed is so crowded right now and the many, many people are bidding for a place in the auction, a seat at the auction. Then Facebook is trying to maintain the user experience to not alienate its customer base, but also balance that with the best advertisers to enhance the user experience experience. So, I think the the algorithm, the machine learning is constantly updating, not necessarily changing per se, but you've got to right. update your strategy alongside of it. And hopefully we'll get into some real actionable strategies here on the show.
2: It's interesting this episode's like very two-sided in a way of like incredible balance because a lot of what we're talking about is really technical and that's what I'm excited to hear about. I'm not very technical and honestly you know, I look at things way more from a strategy standpoint. So understanding more about how it works is great. But on the polar opposite side of that is also your mindset. So understanding the machine, but then also understanding that a lot of this has to do with the way you're thinking about it.
3: We were chatting before we hit record. uh, Andrew had a great metaphor. What were you saying again?
1: So what I was talking about earlier was a golf analogy. If you're a golfer or you've, you've been around driving range before, you've probably seen this guy at the range or at the golf course who is swinging the club so hard, like literally sweating and like putting every ounce of energy he has into trying to hit the golf ball. Well, if you watch the guys on TV, like if you've ever seen Ernie Els play golf, you'll see that he looks like he's barely swinging, but he can hit the ball, you know, 300, 350 yards. Whereas the guy at the range is usually the one who's also like topping the ball uh, 20 yards or, you know, chunking it. He's barely making contact. So in golf, a big saying is let the club do the work, right? And that's what the PGA Tour players do. That's what the best golfers in the world do is that Titleist or whoever made that club has made it to hit the ball far. And you don't have to do that much at the end of the day to make it go far and to go straight. So the same thing is kind of true for Facebook in that, the ad auction uh, technology is built to find the highest value people for you. Sometimes it's better. And like Ralph was alluding to earlier, like, you know, we can start off by testing and trying to manually find these right audiences, the right placements, the right creative, that's all good. And then uh, when we're trying to scale, sometimes it's better to just like let Facebook loose, let them do the work, let the technology do the work for you and kind of be a little more hands off because through their data science and through the machine learning, They're going to be able to identify, you know, looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of variables who out of that huge, big audience they should be going after much better than we ever could doing it manually.
2: So what do you think goes into play there, Andrew? Like, obviously, who you're targeting, right? So who you've said you want to show this audience to, what you're optimizing for, so what you're telling Facebook, you know, that you want, whether it's conversions or clicks or, you know, whatever you're asking for, what would be the next level of that? Like, from your knowledge, what else is controlling
1: that? What's controlling their ability to identify those people?
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: I believe there's about... 272,000 attributes they have for each person. Wow <laughs> So for each person that is on Facebook, and, and these manifest typically through things like interest, right? So what you can select in the audience insights or in your targeting, right? So this would be like, is Molly interested? Or like, what's her interest set? You know, what's her demographics? How old is she? Now, I don't know the exact dimensions they're using in there.
2: And no one really does, but like, you know, just broadly, because that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Zuckerberg has them written down on like a piece of paper, like in a safe (laughs) somewhere or something.
2: Right next to
4: the formula for Coke.
2: Do you think a lot of that has to do with, you know, what you've shown interest in, right? Obviously, like, you know, liking pages or commenting on certain posts like your behavior inside of Facebook but obviously it has something to do with your behavior on websites too since most websites have the Facebook pixel installed i mean they have to know who's most likely to go a certain number of pages into a you know website or oh, you know yeah, to yeah. take a specific action like do you think that comes into play
1: yeah i think there's a ton of behavioral attributes in there you know we're not just talking about like uh, more static things like age or what you do for a living. I mean, that can be a bit more static, but they're also looking at data. You know, And Facebook's not the only data kind of platform out there that has this, but they know what types of sites you've been on lately. And that's recency, right? So that's really important. That's part of how the machine learning works is that it sorts through the variables and finds out what are the most important for your particular ad set. I will never underestimate the power of some of the engineering teams at these companies. Things like text analysis, right? So they take your posts, they analyze it, they pull out keywords, they look at pictures that you post. You can use machine learning to figure out where the person is, what they're doing. But at a more basic level, yeah, like what sites you've been to, what things you're shopping for.
2: What do you think when it comes down to a conversion standpoint, right? Like the photo, that's interesting, like figuring out where you are, because I have noticed like when I'll post a picture on Facebook or when I land in a new city, it's like, you know, Hey, here are other friends who have visited Dallas, right? right, Like see what they've done in terms of like the conversion aspect, like from a a purchase or an opt-in standpoint, like, what do you think they're looking at? Like when you tell Facebook, I want conversions, like I want people to buy or opt in, like what do you think they're looking at there? And again, everybody, we're totally speculating this is not from Facebook, but it's a good discussion and stuff I think about a lot.
1: At the end of the day, the, the machine learning of the data science, like no matter where it is, Facebook, Tesla, whatever company it is, whatever data science team that's there, there's typically a set of pretty commonly used methods to do this type of stuff and it's just around prediction right so there's a number of ways to do it i don't know which specific one they're using but i will say that when they're trying to predict conversion right what they really want to do at the end of the day is say okay we have multiple objectives here we have multiple competing kind of goals the advertiser wants return on ad spend we need to get them that for them to continue to advertise with us you know they want in this case cpa right they want to lower their cpa The platform, Facebook, us, we don't want to burn through our user base. So we want engagement and and stickiness and time on platform. And then the auction in and of itself has to then sort through everyone's kind of objectives and then figure out, okay, a lot of advertisers want this placement. Who gets it? Now, there's a number of factors that go into that. But in terms of the conversion, how they decide based on a conversion objective, they're going to look at the historical converters first. That, that hard and fast rule that we used to talk about, about you need to have X number of conversions per day. It's not a hundred percent true, right? I mean, you don't, it's not like if you don't get it, your ads just gonna turn off and stop delivering in most cases. But what they're doing is they're taking the people who have converted. Like, so let's say that over the course of three days you get 30 conversions, right? Now they've got 30 people. Each of those 30 people have, you know, a, a huge set of attributes that Facebook knows about them. And they look through it and they say, well, what are these the sets of attributes is common? And they can weigh those and then they look at the people who converted and the people who didn't convert, right? And they go, all right, where's the pattern here? Where's the big differences?
2: Right, yeah. How are they similar?
1: Exactly. And that's what machine learning really, you know, the data science, the predictive modeling really does is it looks at these attributes and then tries to figure out, okay, what's predictive about this data set? How can I predict an action from underlying features or attributes? So... It'll look first at the historical converters and go, okay, now I, from this set, I can kind of start to predict a conversion rate for the rest of the user base or the rest of the target in that ad set. So that when the auction comes up, they already know Molly has a 4% right. chance of converting. Keith has an 8%. Wow. Ralph, yeah. Ralph has 20 and so forth. And then your percentages will be different than every other ad set in the auction. So you can imagine the size of this data. It, it would be insane. But yeah, part of it is like, okay well, at the end of the day, we want to deliver like kind of like what's called like true value or expected value. That's where the bidding comes into play. And that's where the the return part comes into play.
2: That's great. Like, I've never heard such a good description of that, Andrew. That's a really good description. Because I mean, when we teach, we're just like, yeah, optimize for conversions, Facebook's going to show it to people who are most likely to convert. That's all I can really explain. So like thinking about how that correlates with the auction and that also goes to show why ad costs are so different between markets right
1: oh yeah yep
2: you know it also goes to show why certain offers in my opinion have a really viral effect like especially when we're running conversion campaigns to optimize for leads some of our lead magnets the campaigns just never get off the ground
4: so once you have some data, let's say you've done some testing, and this is maybe sort of beyond the Michigan method, or whatever testing you did to start off, you figured out what audiences work. Maybe you got a couple of lookalike audiences. Maybe you got, you know, four or five different interest groupings. Once you actually figure that out, uh, after your initial you know, testing data set, which, you know, I definitely recommend people going back to episode 71, because that's a really methodical way in which to test, but it's not good for everyone, sort of depends on your budget. So what would be the next level of scale and leverage to be able to get the result of the expected outcome that you really want with regard to website conversions? How would you handle it to the next step?
1: So once I've gotten an idea of like testing different placements and audiences and creative. I mean, mainly I would be focused on like learning about what the creative is working there, Uh, whether you're doing it through Michigan method or you're using like Ad Espresso or some third-party software. Once you get those learnings and you're ready to kind of go to phase two, phase two would be more about give Facebook room to work, let the club do the work. All right, so let's say you're doing a Michigan method or some similar style. You have a ton of ad sets targeting the same people and they're all on low budgets. So we know that the learning accrues at the ad set level, like that's where all of this is happening. If you have 50 ad sets and you're getting 50 conversions a day from those ad sets, that means every single one of those things has only seen one conversion, one positive and a bunch of zeros. So you can imagine how how am I supposed to drive a pattern or like a a prediction or a a solid prediction about who is going to convert next on just one positive?
4: Yeah, there's not enough data. It'll work for a while, but it, there's just not enough data for longevity.
1: So Facebook is kind of like, all right, well, I got to spend this daily budget tomorrow. I still don't really have a better idea than I did when I started about who to send this to. So we're just going to kind of randomly deliver it. So when you get to a certain point there, you, you need to kind of like take your learnings and then now let the club do the work. Right? Okay, so in phase two, we're going to move to a setup where we're going to do less ad sets. You know, Instead of having a number of different ad sets targeting the same people... We're actually gonna go almost the opposite way and we're gonna combine audiences into one ad set. And the reason we're gonna do this is like, let's say you have 10 lookalike audiences, right? And they're all US lookalike audiences and it's all for the same offer and and all that good stuff. From Facebook's engineering point of view, the only reason to ever split those out into separate ad sets would be if you were going to bid differently for them, right? So next time when you're gonna launch a campaign and you're gonna split out ad sets, When you're onto the scaling mode, my challenge to you would be to think to yourself, why am I splitting these out? Will I bid differently for them? And if the answer is no, then put them together. The two things that this is going to do for you here that uh, are going to help you kind of swim with the current related to the auction system and the machine learning is that going from 20 ad sets to one, right? If we've gone from 20 ad sets in stage one where we're testing to one, we're going to consolidate all those conversions to one ad set. So we'll call that like Sometimes I say like the juice, right? So you're getting all the juice into one ad set instead of 20. And that's so important, especially for website conversion campaigns, you know, where the conversion rates might not be as high. You know, the difference between one a day and 20 a day is going to make a huge difference. The other thing is, and this is the part that a lot of people miss that's really key, is that if you have an ad set with a tiny audience and you break, let's say you break interests up into different ad sets, like one interest per ad set. Facebook could be using that learning like chances are those interests are going to be somehow related. Right. So some people are going to be in one or more of those uh, interest groups. Right. Because all the learning is happening at the ad set level and all the reach is controlled at the ad set level. All these people that would have been great candidates compared to the conversions you've gotten from like one of your ad sets. Facebook can't even see them unless you're using you know, maybe if you're using expanded interest. But so what we're going to do there is like we're going to have better reach and availability in the auction. Right. So if I go from 10, 100,000 person ad sets up to the same group, a million people, your performance should improve drastically because it's it's kind of like a compounding benefit. the The consolidated juice gives us a better confidence interval and a better idea of expected conversion rate. And therefore, we can predict better who's going to convert. It's like. Facebook can now see a whole stadium full of people instead of like just being like in a high school gymnasium. You know what I mean? It's like now they can apply probability to everybody. And remember, with a daily budget, they got to try to spend that, that money regardless of who's online, especially if you're auto bidding. So this gives you the best shot of your highest expected value people being even in the auction, like even showing up that day and us being able to reach them.
2: Andrew, do you believe that even by audience size, like, do you think if the audience is too big, you should split that into multiple ad sets? Or do you think audience size doesn't matter?
1: I don't know the the 100% answer to that. I don't know for whatever reason recently, and it might just be because of the competition in the auction, you know, competition on Facebook ads in general has gotten a lot tougher that we have seen bigger audiences working.
2: I feel the same way. It's it's easier. Like I feel like bigger audiences are working better, especially if you really have a conversion that's been happening frequently, which is nice. And and I think that goes to show that the algorithms gotten a lot smarter.
3: 100% agree there. Hundy. Yeah, we've done some testing where it had to scale as fast as possible up to 50,000 a day. Actually, Terry, who's one of our coaches at, in our Navigator coaching group, did a webinar about that because they had to scale to 50,000 a day in like three days. And they did it with no targeting because they already had like two to 300 conversions. And so they used really big audiences. You know, we've seen it in several cases, like, right, Ralph? I mean, there's some of the best campaigns are 30 to 40 million and running for, for, oh, yeah. for a long time.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that just shows the power of the algorithm. I think, you know, I mean, we've done it plenty of times where we've done it sort of by mistake, even in testing mode, where the interest, for whatever reason, didn't catch and delete. And, you know, the power editor just deleted it for whatever reason. And it's wide open to 130 million in the U.S. And it's the best performing ad set. So notice we're saying ad set here because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of data that shows that, I mean, this machine learning happens via ad set. And it is by that 25 conversions in a seven-day period. But but you want more than that, as many as you can get, which is the reason why level two of scaling here is obviously to larger audiences, larger budgets. So you can feed the algorithm positive data and let that machine learning work for you as opposed to you working against it. A lot of times this means not doing a whole lot, right, Andrew? It means like letting the algorithm do the work while you guys kind of sit back and be patient.
3: Oh, get your messaging right first put most of your energy
4: there. That's what we test in the Michigan method. You can't do this right out of the gate.
2: You have to have a good offer. Everything has to be pretty perfect. You got to <laughs> test this
4: stuff up front first. You can't go right into this. So You're missing a whole step because you can't go $500 a day. Oh, I don't know what's going to work. You just don't know what's going to work. You have to test smaller and then get larger. You don't know what a good message is unless you actually test it to traffic.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like surfing, right? So, like, let's say you're trying to surf and you're trying to paddle into a wave, and if you're not in the right spot, if you don't time it right, if you're in the like just a little bit too far, you know, up the shore, you're just going to be paddling all day long. You're never going to be catching any waves because there's so much power into that wave. And so, what happens is, is a lot of people are out there focusing all their time and energy in optimizing and testing and and all this stuff. Instead, when they what they should be doing is in focusing. Like I spend two days writing an ad and it usually works right out of the gate with zero testing. Now, of course, the more we add to that, the better it does, right, as far as testing. But if you actually put the work in to creating offers that convert, good messaging, then sometimes it's like, are you stepping over a dollar to get to a dime? If you're an entrepreneur or if somebody on your team, you have to think about a little bit, where is your best time spent? Now, if you're an agency, you have a client like, DWM agency where you know, in order to be a client, you've got to have a high converting funnel and you've got to have a lot of that stuff in, right? Where you're, you're just focusing on running and optimizing the Facebook ads as well as giving them guidance on, on strategy and messaging, then you're going to be able to spend more time, right, Ralph? Like testing and stuff. But like if you're, let's say you're a solopreneur or let's say you're a, a marketing director and you're, you've got other departments, sometimes you have to weigh those things. I think the key is to understand how it works, right? Understand how it works. If Facebook will yeah. work better with large audiences, it's going to work way, way better if you have a great message and a great you know, ad copy. And the fastest way to, to know which one of your messages works is to test those.
1: Yep. That is the other big key point here is like, if, if we can help from some of this information, help you simplify your approach and spend a little less time in ads manager, which might sound counterintuitive, you can focus that time on things that I think right. are bigger levers, and I think everyone would agree. Is like working on your funnel, working on
2: your copy, your messaging, your create, you know, everything, your offer, your back end, creating new products to increase, you know, customer value. Like that—that's exactly how I look at it. I'm not in Ads Manager a lot. We'll do testing, and then once our ads are set up and they're in a good place, I'll get in there every few days and and kind of check on on how things are looking and make tweaks, but Facebook is not a day trading platform, right? You said that earlier, Andrew, and I thought that was really good. Like It's built um, to be easier to use. They want people to spend more money, right? They want us to spend more money. So if they can make the platform better and easier and less maintenance then they're going to make more money and you know advertisers are going to be happy too. So, you know, this shouldn't be complete rocket science. It's so good to know how it works because the better you understand it, the better you're going to be as an advertiser. But on the other side of that, realizing that this is built to help you, right? You're not working against the platform. And once you find something that works, um you shouldn't be making tweaks you know every 15 minutes because it's actually going to hurt you you're not giving facebook enough time to to do what it's good at
4: Um. Absolutely, and I think that you know a a takeaway from this is that once you've dialed in that message, which is certainly really important to do. I mean, the greatest copywriters they can get it right right out of the gate. If you really know your audience, you might be able to get it right out of the gate. In most cases, we don't get it right right out of the gate. We fail a lot. We fail seventy percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, if we're you know not having a very good day. But the point is, is that you once you have that, then start thinking about how you can do less to get more in the algorithm by leveraging larger audiences combining those audiences larger daily budgets and then even doing some you know some bidding uh, manual optimization, which we can even get a little bit into that here. But the point is, is that, you know, inactivity in an ad set or in a campaign and customer clients and one particular last two weeks, you know, we didn't actually pause an ad set that had spent money over a two day period. And I explained to them, you know, inactivity in the ad set and in the campaign does not mean inaction. Inaction means you know, we are looking at it and we're making a strategic decision to let the algorithm smooth out those, those inequalities, right. those ups and downs, because ultimately it will win.
2: Yeah. And digital marketer engage a lot. I see our customers and they'll post and it's like, you know, launched an ad an hour ago, only 15 people have seen it. What's wrong? And we don't even look at our ads for three days, at least sometimes five, because you're going to start making changes off of something that's not, it hasn't had time to do what it's supposed to do.
4: People want to, you know, meddle with their ads (laughs) because it's money. They want to tinker. It's emotional. I mean, it's money that's being spent. I mean, if you're spending thousands of dollars a day, If you see inaction, it might actually mean that, you know, your agency or your ads manager, whoever it is, or yourself is asleep at the switch, but that's not necessarily the case. What we're doing is we're trying to let the algorithm do the work here because the the algorithm is smarter than all of us.
3: We had some guys, one of our clients come on and and share, really, they've kind of built their own algorithm in our our navigator group. And basically, I'm not going to get into it, but basically they, they check things after three days and they accept extreme cases. You know, typically nothing gets turned off until after 14 days. Oh, yeah. One thing I want to add here just to pay close attention to notice that Andrew with a data science background talking about really kind of simplifying. Right. And letting the algorithm do the work. Just remember that one thing, I think. So
4: a data scientist simplifying things.
3: All right. Awesome stuff here, Andrew. Is there anything, this is a lot for this episode. We're going to have to have you on as, you know, as quickly as possible again, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there any resources you can give people listening right now?
1: A couple of key takeaways would be number one. Uh, remember that as Molly was saying, it's not a day trading platform. Every time you go in there and you mess around with the settings and the ad set or change something, it actually has to recalibrate. So it is actually really hurting you. It's not just that you're wasting time. But it is hurting your ad set performance if you're doing that. So do less. Uh, that would be number one. Number two, yeah, let let the club do the work, like we talked about. Test it out. I will say that a lot of people who are maybe from the older school of Facebook advertising, when they hear this, they'll say, "Well, I've tried that. I've done that before. It doesn't work. You can't do big ad sets, big budgets." Well, there's there's another phase to this, and we'll probably talk about it on another episode, but. You can use everything we've talked about today, going with bigger ad sets. That's what we're doing right now for some clients with automatic bidding. But when you start to get up really high on the daily budgets, there, there is another step to, to avoid getting your budget blown out. And uh, we're, we'll give you more information because that's kind of a whole other story. But So that's the other thing. You know, If you're listening to this and you're super skeptical, you think we don't know what we're talking about. It's not uh, entirely impossible that I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's uh, this, <laughs> is, this is a newer take on an old an old strategy i will say okay and then yeah if you want a visual walkthrough of the stuff we've talked about here and then also a checklist of kind of best practices to work with the auction instead of against it you can go to funnelboom.com slash bid bid
2: bid boom baby boom <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. You are brilliant and humble, and those are a good match. So uh, we appreciate you.
4: Well said, Molly. Thank
1: you, guys. Appreciate it.
2: Love ya. See ya. Love y'all. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.